You're listening to episode 97, Gut Issues and Subfertility with Dr. Jennifer Hort. This episode is brought to you by my Recipes for a Fertile You program. It's over 500 meal planned recipes through the lens of traditional Chinese medicine to help rebalance your specific symptoms, leading you back to wellness and ultimately to fertility. To find out more, go to FertileMindsRadio.com. And as a special thank you to all of our listeners, if you find yourself enamored with Dr. Jen Horton like I am, and you want to join her rebel tribe, you get a special discount by using the code FertileMindsRadio, all one word, all lowercase, to receive $50 off program that starts May 28th. You can visit drjenniferhorton.com for more information. If you are looking for holistic wisdom and a plan to reclaim your fertility to help you create a healthy family for generations to come, you're in the right place. This is Fertile Minds Radio. Our guest today is Dr. Jennifer Horton, and she and I have never met in person, not yet, but we have shared some of the same teachers in functional medicine and our quest to teach meditation. And I can't wait to talk to her about the microbiome and its role in fertility because it's so, so important. She has been a DO for 17 years. More recently, though, she's begun to swim in the pools of functional and alternative medicine. And I have such respect for her, not only because of her brilliance and dedication to medicine, but because she is one of those rare individuals that's been able to look beyond the original paradigm in which she was educated in and seek out much needed answers and alternatives when it comes to answering questions like, what does it mean to be healthy? And how do we get our patients there? So welcome to the show, Dr. Horton. I'm so glad that you're here and that we were finally able to come together. Thanks, Hillary. Happy to be here. And please call me Jen. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, all the med school training, I feel like we owe that respect, right? But I will call you Jen. So I've heard you speak before about the rigors of med school and how it didn't leave much room for anything else in your life in terms of relationships. And in fact, you actually married a doctor, right? Yeah and it, how it kind of pushed you towards type A overachiever. And I'm so curious as to when you first began to notice that maybe there was another way to go about things and how you got the courage to not only go looking, but make a big shift. Yeah, I think at first, well, first, I mean, I went, I went to an osteopathic medical school. So I feel like my initial roots and foundation, you know, osteopathic medicine was founded by a medical doctor who was disenchanted at the time with with allopathic medicine, right? And um, on the foundation that the body has an inherent capacity to heal. And if we just help support the body to do that, it's, you know, people are going to be well. Well, unfortunately, I think when you go through the rigors of medical school training, and there's so much intermixing now with DOs and MDs, I went to a, an MDDO family medicine residency that some of that got watered down. But I felt like that little nugget was always there inside of me. And um, even when I finished my training, I was, I was known, I think as a family doctor who was quote more open and patients who wanted a broader perspective would start to seek me out. And I feel like my patients maybe pushed me to, to study more in that area and to be able to, you know, deliver on what they were looking for. I mean, I've 
worked in a variety of healthcare settings. I mean, private practice, large healthcare organizations, rural um, areas, more metropolitan. And I think the theme I hear from patients is they want many, they, they want alternatives to pharmaceuticals and there's a time and place for pharmaceuticals, but they want an alternative. And so I, you know, I just began to study more along those lines so that I could be prepared to give um, those answers. And so it got me studying um, functional medicine in 2016, but backing that up, you know, it was really my yoga practice um, that started in 2003, right when I finished residency. And then I became a yoga teacher in 2014. And then I started meditating after that. I mean, that was just the the focal point of my self-care that then, again, it still opened me up into what are other ways that we can take care of ourselves? What are these other tools? And then that got me into studying functional medicine in 2016 and then studying with our shared teacher, um, Dr. Aviva Ram. And I've just, you know, continued, I feel like you're a perpetual student uh, studying along those lines. So I think it was a combination of me finding what I needed self-care wise, me being able to share those types of tools with my patients, seeking out other sources that would allow me to educate people on the holistic aspect of health. You know, I love that you came to that organically, like you did all that. You had a 10 year yoga practice first and and then you learned to meditate, you know, and did that for a while before you went on to teach. And I feel like that's so important because there's a lot of doctors out there that'll say, well, you should do yoga or you should meditate and they don't do it themselves. Right. 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 And I think I finally realized that the only way I was going to really be able to share all of these tools together, functional medicine, meditation, yoga, aromatherapy, the food, and have the time to do so was by by leaving conventional medicine um, and starting my own practice, which I did about a year ago, um, because I just find there isn't the time and space to really get in depth with patients, you know, when it comes to these complicated things like fertility, that we're talking about today as an example, I think, you know, medicine right now is the way that it's structured. It's very good for quick things, acute things, I need to save you from dying from a heart attack. But when we get into these longstanding medical physiology that has taken years to develop, it's not something I can fix in a 15-minute office visit. So right, a paradigm shift that is long overdue and, and um, something I'm happy to be part of now. I will often say that fertility is just kind of the ultimate side effect of wellness. And I know some patients will hear that and automatically tell themselves like, oh, that means I'm not well, I've done something wrong. But that's not what I mean. What I mean is like the exposure to all of the chemicals and the things in our food and the the American lifestyle of go, 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 and all of that builds up and then takes its toll. And that does deserve a lot of time, especially in the beginning and those intakes to really figure out where your patient is and, you know, how much there is to unwind to get them back to wellness and then eventually fertility, right? Um, because that's what the body wants to do, wants to reproduce. But when all of these other things have kind of reared their ugly head along the way. There's a lot of things to go back and then I guess rebalance is the way I would say it. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, it's getting to those root causes and this is where I feel functional medicine is kind of a westernized way of 
of, of bringing in the Eastern uh, medicine, you know, how you've been trained, um, you know, but at really working at looking at what are the root causes in the person's lifestyle, in their body, in their physiology that is causing the hormone issue that's related to fertility or the thyroid problem or the, the gut issue. It's not a, you have a sinus infection, here's your antibiotic, you know, have a nice day. Um, it's, it's why, why did that milieu and your physiology cause the, the issue, the symptom, the disease that, that you're presenting with. And that's, yeah, something that takes, you need to look at a, a patient's history, even from birth. I mean, um, and then, and then tie all this together with their, their present situation. And that all takes time, a connection and, you know, a detailed overall approach to what's going on with the patient. Right. So I know that I could talk to you for hours about all that we covered in our training together, but today I really, I really want you to help me educate our listeners about the role that the microbiome or the gut plays in fertility, specifically in its regulation of estrogen via the strobilome and how gut dysbiosis or an imbalance of all the organisms that we carry around in our guts um, actually start to affect fertility and can be the one of the major root causes of things like endometriosis and PCOS and fibroids and autoimmunity and all of that that comes with subfertility. Um, so are you, you down with that to, to, to talk about yeah. poop today? I am ready. <laughs> okay. Um, and like you said, a lot of your patients you know, have already done a lot of their own research. And I find that as well. They've, they've, they've consulted Dr. Google. So I think people are familiar with that. They, what a gut microbiome is. I mean, and and just really quickly, it's, it's the bacteria. It's the, the garden. I like to describe to patients that um, are living all, you know, not only in our gut, but on our skin and our nasal passages and really involved in a lot of important physiologic processes in our body. The estrobilome is the part of the, the gut microbiome that can, can break down estrogen in our body. And this is important when, when we're talking about fertility, because often it's, it's ratios, it's balances of estrogen and progesterone. You, know, you might have a, uh, an estrogen dominant situation where the progesterone is very low as compared to the estrogen. And again, that can be impacted by your gut health um, and that estrobilone particularly. But I, I do want to back it up just a little bit because again, I think you need to look at to look at truly the root cause. The microbiome is important, but we need to look at all the things around the microbiome. So the first thing I'm I'm always looking at, and I'm sure you are as well, is is stress and, and that manifests lots of different ways. But in functional medicine, we're really looking at adrenal health uh, because we know if somebody is always running from the proverbial saber-toothed tiger and in fight or flight, their cortisol level, their stress hormone level is running high. And that directly impacts production of progesterone. You're not going to make as much progesterone. Your DHEA levels are going to start to drop. So your estrogen levels are going to not be where they need to be because you basically your body doesn't want to make babies when it's stressed out, right? Right. um, But what's happening is this high cortisol signal, this level, now that's going to your gut and it's signaling your gut, the organisms, that microbiome that, you know, hey, I'm under a lot of stress right now. And so what happens is that gut microbiome, our body tries to stay in homeostasis, tries to take care of us. But if we're not eating well, 
if we're not eliminating properly regularly, if um, we're not sleeping well, if we're drinking a lot of alcohol, if we've taken a lot of antibiotics or are on um, acid suppressing medications long term, it starts to mess up that gut microbiome. And so that cortisol level then starts to so it's already weak because of all those lifestyle things that cortisol literally starts to tear down that, that gut microbiome layer. And it, specifically, it starts to tear down a really important antibody called secretory IgA isn't protecting us. It's our immune, our immune health. 50% of our immune system is living in our gut. So we're tearing down that gut level because that cortisol level is high. Those antibody levels are going high, which has immune system implications. And then what's happening is your body, instead of pushing all the bad stuff out, it, that, that gut lining becomes leaky. And so the wrong things start to get absorbed. And this can be um, different toxins. It can be different um, chemicals that act like estrogen in our bodies, but act like estrogen in our bodies the wrong way, not in a good way, increase our risk for estrogen-related cancers, for example. So again, our body is trying to keep up with all this homeostasis. Our liver now and our detoxification systems now enter into the picture. So now all of a sudden, my leaky gut is shunting all of this junk that's instead of going out, my liver is trying to keep up with detoxifying it and cleaning that up. And for a while, our liver does a pretty good job at that. But eventually, it too gets overwhelmed. And so the liver has some different uh, reactions um, for detoxification, phase one and phase two. And then it goes to phase three, which is where our gut is now coming into play again. And if phase three isn't working right, again, this is another part in the whole cascade where things start to get backed up and you start to absorb these bad estrogen products, for example, these metabolites. And again, all of that affects you know, lots of different things, but for the conversation today, it, it, it can affect this hormone balance that is so important when it comes to our sex hormones and fertility and um, pregnancy. So it's all, it's all connected. I can't just look at the gut health. I've got to look at your stress hormone system and how that's impacting the gut health and then how that impa is impacting the liver detoxification systems. It's, it's just, you can't look at one without looking at the other. And that's what is so fascinating about the paradigm of functional medicine is that's how we are looking at somebody's root cause by taking into all these physiology patterns together. And again, one person, it might be more of the cortisol issue. One person might have more gut things. More, one person might have more liver detox. But until we really dig into it through the history, uh, through the exam, and then often we're getting into some more detailed functional medicine lab testing, you know, that's how we really personalize what is going on in a person's physiology so I can help you craft, you know, a game plan as to what your body needs. Right. Because we're all created so differently, right? Like we can all even have genetic markers that predispose us to, you know, one of those phases of detoxification, maybe not necessarily working at peak just from, you know, something that was in our environment triggered our genetics to then turn on, right? Exactly. And then, you know, I find it so interesting and in Western medicine, like, you know, when a woman goes to a reproductive endocrinologist to get a workup and, you know, potentially explore something like IVF, which I'm, I'm definitely not knocking IVF. I have a, a large number of my patients have had healthy children. 
um, because of it that they wouldn't have had otherwise. But there's, you know, we do the day three workup and check to make sure the tubes are open and the ultrasound and there's no fibroids, but there's no questioning about the other aspects of health. And, you know, a good RE will often employ an acupuncturist or at least refer out to, to kind of do all that other work for them. Because if it is cortisol that's breaking down the gut and causing, you know, progesterone deficiency and low DHEA, and they just give DHEA because there was, you know, two small, two very small poorly run studies that show DHEA could help egg quality. And then, of course, they pack you full of progesterone to hold that pregnancy. And there's something A, wrong with your gut, and then B, wrong with, you know, how your liver is detoxifying all these hormones. Then we've just overloaded the liver. And then you have potentially more problems in pregnancy, but especially then when the baby comes and you're really stressed out because that just is sort of what happens, right? When you've got, especially a first time mom. And then it's like the woman's health just completely unravels. And, you know, she's not really having time to come in and get acupuncture or get massages or, you know, do meditation even sometimes. So I feel like it's so important to drive home that message of, really, even if it takes time and you wanted to have a baby yesterday to go upstream and fix as much as you can, or I hate the word fix, but rebalance as much as you can. And then if you still need IVF, fine, but at least your body's going to detox all of those hormones, you know, to the best of its ability. Right. Right. It's again, it's that broader perspective and yeah, you might fix the, well, again, you might again have the outcome of the baby by doing, you know, the hormones we just taught you just talked about, but what are the what what's what's going to happen later? I mean, what's your risk then of postpartum depression, or what's um, again what's happening even during your pregnancy with you know the communication between your body and the placenta and the fetus? Fetus. So yeah, I think that's a, a beautiful way to look at it. That we just in medicine we tend to silo things. We just put you in this neat little box, and we name it, and we diagnose it, and we give the quote treatment plan that's quote evidence based, but we don't start to ask the why you got to this place in the first place. And we also don't often ask what are the implications of my, my acute treatment plan later on down the line, or how can I prevent you from getting in the same place again later on? So yeah, we're right on, right on the money there with that. Yeah. Cause if you have leaky gut, basically your cells are not communicating correctly, right? Cause things are going awry. So wouldn't it make sense that if you've got auto, like if you've got immunity triggers happening at that point, whether you've reached a crescendo of an autoimmune disease or not, even if you're just starting to have symptoms, wouldn't you start to have some issue in the, in the placenta as well? Because isn't that what they're finding right now? I think there was just a study released in terms of COVID where they were showing that the communication in the placenta was not happening for those women that had been exposed, even though they were delivering healthy babies, the placenta was coming out much smaller than they expected or some areas of hardening, like you would see in an advanced maternal age when somebody went past 39 weeks. And I, to me, when I read that, I went, oh, it's attacking the gut lining, not just the lung lining. And in Chinese medicine, the lung and the large intestine are paired, right? Mm. So I started thinking like, oh, that's just communication. Like what is what is not signaling correct? That's amazing. I didn't know that study about the COVID and the placenta. I mean, we know that, again, the there's different inflammatory markers that we can measure on stool testing 
that um, are basically produced by that bad bacteria. And when you have high levels of those different inflammatory markers, that's when we know that the signaling is off, like you said. And, um, and that's where I will recommend gut testing, even if somebody doesn't have gut symptoms. I mean, and that's another paradigm shift for me. I'm always taught that I don't check a lab unless somebody, you know, is having, you know, a reason to do the lab is having, you know, change in bowel movement patterns or blood in the stool or whatever. And certainly I would want to work that up appropriately. But um, when we're talking about infertility and hormone shifts, I think it's going to be an incomplete look at the patient if we don't measure their their gut health by doing stool testing to see what those inflammatory markers, you know, if they have inflammatory markers, what kind of the, the garden of their bacteria look like, the balance of good and bad, um, it, because it's all connected to that, that hormone metabolism and just overall good health. So you're, you're saying like, cause I was going to ask you what symptoms would trigger you to look at the digestive system. If somebody came into you for seeking help with fertility, but you're saying you would just give them a gut test no matter what, and just see what's going on in terms of microbiome diversity, yeah. right? Especially the, that, that person who's coming to me for infertility. I mean, they've already, I mean, again, by the time they come to me, they've already you know, seeing the right reproductive endocrinologist, they've probably tried, you know, all the standard medical care recommendations. So I think, you know, to really get a deeper dive, we need to know what their gut health is. Because again, the paradigm of functional medicine is to, you know, let's not wait till something breaks. Let's try to be proactive. Let's try to, you know, look at the person's physiology and how it's actually functioning now and to see if we can identify red flags or patterns that could a explain the symptoms or issues they're dealing with now but b um you know if we don't correct these now could turn into other things later so right kind of like if you buy a car you're gonna look you're gonna have a mechanic go through the whole thing right you're not gonna just drive it down the road and be like well the check engine light didn't come on i think it's good for 10 years right Right. (laughs) we're just guessing and that's where, again, especially once patients are seeing me for fertility, often they've they're, they've cleaned up their diet or they've worked on a lot of these things already. And if they haven't, we're certainly going to focus on that. But I think this really helps to personalize all of the lifestyle things even further um, by by doing the stool testing. Right. Yeah, I have the same thing because by the time someone decides that, you know, sticking 10 or 20 needles in their body might help them get pregnant. They've usually <laughs> tried a lot of other things, right? Right. You know, that's that's a stretch for most people, unless you are somehow exposed to it growing up and it seems somewhat normal, which is is the minority, right? Exactly. So do you teach, you, you know, you do a lot of stuff with the food and the, bi- and the microbiome. Do you teach most of your patients meditation too? Like, cause that has a huge effect on the signaling in the microbiome, right? And our nervous systems and how it interacts with our GI systems. Right. I mean, the same, the same pathway, you know, we just talked about with the fight or flight and your cortisol running high. Well, we know from meditation and all the studies on how it affects our stress subsystem and our brain that um, it absolutely can affect the cortisol level in a positive way and lower that and then you know help to uh, lower the then impact it can have on our gut detoxification systems etc so in terms of teaching meditation I recommend it to all my patients I feel like I have more time now uh, in my own practice to walk them through what that might look like 
I think, again, meditation takes some time. It takes practice. It's it's something that people maybe have heard about, but they often feel like I just can't, I don't have time. I, my brain is just you know popping around all the time. So I find that uh, by doing workshops and longer classes, I'm able to answer those questions in a, in a more relaxed setting. Um, and so I really encourage my patients to, you know, learn how to meditate. If it's not from me, you know, from, from other teachers out there and apps and things like, you know, there's something to be said for learning from a teacher versus just reading a book or listening to an app. I mean, maybe you get to those once you've kind of learned the practice initially and, and to kind of deepen things. But uh, I mean, absolutely, I recommend meditation to all my patients. I, I think that I think if you don't have a meditation practice, I think you're missing a, a key link in, in optimal health. And, and personally, I think you I don't think you can attain that optimal health without having some type of, of practice like that that helps to to calm the mind, to quiet the mind and to really balance our, our stress physiology. Right. Because humans are kind of evolutionarily mismatched with <laughs> what's going on in our world today, right? Like there's so much stimuli right. that's happened so quickly where if you were to rewind, you know, people got meditation by walking outside and, you know, doing yard work and things of that nature where they were, you know, we were just outside a lot more. And mm -hmm. I think that that kind of forces you into a grounded, mindful state. And so if you were spending hours a day doing that, you may not need a, you know, a dogmatic <laughs> Correct. Sit with your legs crossed. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But now we're going a million miles an hour from the time we go to sleep, you know, or wake up until we go to sleep, you know, and for those people that look at me and like, I just don't have time. I'm like, well, you need double, right? Because I don't know about you, but meditation for me actually helped me create more time in, in the day because I felt like I was more focused and productive with what I was doing and I had a better like mental, emotional mindset around it. So I didn't like fall prey to the voice in my head telling me all the terrible things that all of that, all of us have. Right. Mm -hmm. And right. I felt like just by adding that in, I, I actually made time. Yes. And you're actually more productive and right. I, I think the, the literature supports that. And I have had that similar experience as well. I think the effects of meditation and of doing it daily, you just start to see more and more ripples as our teacher david g uh, talks you know you just see them rippling into your life and just how you're less reactive with your kids that you just you know don't find yourself swirling and getting distracted as easily but you know right the world we live in there's so much coming at you all the time which is completely unnatural and and to our our bodies and our physiology that um right a, a formal practice like meditation just helps to create the conditions of of breaking that up um, which are, are so important these days. Right. But I just did a course with him. He went through his distressifying book. Yes. And we met twice a week and it was really nice and needed because my life was like totally flipped upside down during that time. Mm -hmm. And he just kept hammering like, I don't want you to sit there for an hour in the morning. I want you to sit there in the morning and the evening, however much time you can do that, even if it's five minutes, the, the cumulative effect of starting and ending your day that way. Yeah. You know, it was it wasn't about the perfection of doing it for you know a long time in a sitting, but getting your body into that ability to just drop in quickly and do it over and over multiple times mm -hmm. a day, mm -hmm. which, 
you know, I think for some people that they go, oh my gosh, I can't do that. But I think it's because they want to do it perfectly, right? They want to have that 30 minutes or hour practice in the beginning, which is luxurious if you can get that in your life. But in reality, you may only have, you know, 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes at night. Exactly. We're trying to it's those is those loops in our mind. We have, you know, in yoga, we call them samskaras. I mean, these loops, they can be bad loops. They can be loops that don't support us. You know, and meditation helps to rewire, you know, our brains literally so that we're not stuck in those bad loops and we create the new ones. And right, I think just, I think what he's saying in that is just by getting into those kind of positive loops more frequently, even if they're for shorter times, you just start to rewire your brain that much more effectively and you you're and you just drop into it easier. I think that's also what I tell people when they say, Oh, I can't meditate because my brain is is busy and you know it's 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 like an exercise. You're just training training those neural circuits and rewiring them. And with time that gets easier. But it's all about what happens after, after the, off the mat, you know, right. It's it's what happens day to day. And I think people want this like beautiful, amazing experience. And yes, I love a nice quiet meditation practice, but there's sometimes that it's just not going to happen, but that's okay. Your, your brain is releasing stress. It's discharging what it doesn't need. And, and the meditation is so important for that as well. All right. So I want to talk to you about the link between immunity, autoimmunity, things that have immunity markers like endometriosis and the impact on the gut, but then also what some of the literature is now pointing to in terms of loneliness and isolation and how that compounds um, our immune system going out of whack and the effect that that has on our hormones. Because I feel like our listeners are some of the most challenged when it comes to isolation, right? Because fertility, if you let it, it can be super, super isolating. And whether you like it or not, like we've all been isolated in our homes, right? I think we're at like, I'm at like week 10, just noticing the effect that that can have positive or negative on your, on your immunity. And I think that's something that people don't necessarily put together, but I know that you find this really important because you're starting a whole new group program where the whole emphasis is on education and, and bringing people together and out of that social isolation and kind of de-stigmatizing, I'm not going to say that word right, destigmatizing, <laughs> right? <laughs> Taking the shame out of it, right? Oh. So can you speak to that? Like what turned you on to really noticing that isolation was something that had to be addressed in order for wellness to be achieved. I think I first was introduced to that literature actually through our our teacher, um, Dr. Biba Ram, and her professional course when she just brought up. I mean, these were these are just straight out of the regular medical literature statistics about how isolation, loneliness are risk factors that are equivalent to smoking fifteen cigarettes per day. Um, that the Social, your social connections at age 50 can influence your health at age 80. Um, so we're always so focused on the diet and the exercise and the sleep and all those things, but that you, that you need to actually pay attention to the social isolation connection, connection and loneliness piece and the impact that can have on our health. You know, we know that, you know, people who are post heart attack who have depression are more at risk for complications than those that are not. And often that is, is connected to social isolation and, 
and, and feelings of disconnection. So that was just fascinating to me. And I, I, again, with me kind of bridging off the conventional path, you know, I wanted to be able to offer these tools to my patients. And I found that often the face-to-face visit, you know, you can talk about it, but it's, it's the power of the group. And again, the standard medical literature supports that as well. You know, people can make better behavior changes and really change their health in significant ways when they come together in a group visit setting. And so, you know, taking just the straight up regular standard medical literature that shows that the social isolation is a risk to our health and then seeing how we could bring people together to support health was kind of the nidus for this, this upcoming program. Um, called Rebel Tribe. Okay, I'm going to ask you to go yeah. into detail on that in just a second. Yeah. But I like I'm always about like why <laughs> in order to change things. Yeah. So if that evidence is there in the, in the medical literature, plain as day, like you can get it on PubMed. I saw it too. Why do you, why are we still insisting on doing a one on one model in in medicine? Because isn't that really f- unfair to the physician to like expect that you're going to impart all of this wisdom a in a 20 minute visit. Right. And so do you think it's the paradigm there or do you think it's also has to do with the patient, like not wanting to be in a group? Like, have you noticed kickback of like, oh, I don't, I don't want to share my story in front of people. I think it's a combination. I think the conventional paradigm of medicine I mean, the way that people are reimbursed, it's just this, you know, it's this incident visit fee-for-service model, but it's also a model of, you know, I'm, I'm going back now, like, I'm the doctor, you're the patient, here's my wisdom, my knowledge, go do this, you know, and go on. And so I think people in a way have, they were sort of brought up in a medical model like that. And so I don't think that their opinion or them um, asking questions or personalizing things has been something that's been honored in the conventional um, paradigm. I, I, again, I, I'm not, I'm making generalizations. I think that's, you know, changing in some pockets, but, you know, overall, that's not something that's supported. So, um, so I think part of that is just how we've trained patients to quote behave, which sounds bad. Um because I, I really think that women, especially, you know, we we have a need to interact, to share our feelings, to um, congregate in tribes. I mean, this was, you know, part of of our lineage, you know, going back thousands of years. And, you know, we've just become more and more segmented and isolated as we become more technologically advanced, ironically. And so I think you know, maybe initially a woman isn't going to, might not feel empowered to ask questions, um, to ask in a group setting. But I think when you get people together and you create that safe container and you build trust and you have, you know, expectations about the experience and, and, and you just create a way that people are comfortable sharing, then I think the magic happens. Then you 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 have people um, who are, are asking questions about themselves, who can be supportive of others. So I think it's it's a missing link in the chronic disease model. You know, if we don't, I think bring people together 
to really help support them when it comes to all these lifestyle issues, especially, which are very hard to often fix um, independently that, um, that we really have, we're really missing the boat. So I think it's something that is much needed in medicine. And I think it's just something that needs to be introduced. I think people maybe need to maybe come into it and observe it. And once they kind of see that it is a safe place and they have some connection with other people, some similarities, you know, people just open up. And and that's, again, like I said, where I think uh, people can really expand their wellness on multiple levels. So that's exactly what you're attempting to do with the rebel tribe, right? You're bringing women of all different ages and backgrounds together to learn about their bodies and, and have this sense of community, right? Right. Um, yeah, this was a, a program that was started a few years ago by a naturopathic physician. She was uh, looking at ways to, I think, create community with women from her own perspective. I think as a, as a clinician, you, ha- you, you have this interaction with women You've been, you know, that's often just very clinician, again, doctor patient focused. You've been studying many years. You know, for me, you know, I found that there just wasn't a lot of time to connect with other women, to socialize, to really have those meaningful relationships. So I think this physician, she had a similar experience. And so it's bringing together women to learn about their bodies so they they can be proactive about their health from a holistic perspective, but also incorporating all of the the positives of community, of supporting each other more in a sisterhood. Um, So it's kind of taking both both arms, uh, so to speak, and weaving them together. And to me, it was a beautiful way for me to share, again, I'm going to weave in my meditation and the yoga and aromatherapy and stress reduction and self-care alongside the medical piece. And we're going to talk about how all those things are woven together and have to go together for, for somebody to really be, really be well and healthy. Right. Cause you can't just obtain the knowledge. You actually then have to, to put it to work in your life with yeah. the help of self-care. Right. Right. And I think talking to other women who are at the same, maybe they're at a different place on their own timeline, but that are working towards the same thing. I mean, that is powerful. And I think that's what we've learned from rebel tribe is just the the power of other women's voices and experience um, that you just, it takes, it takes, you don't feel that isolation. You don't feel like you're the only person trying to figure out how you're going to meditate or how you're going to get more sleep or, you know, you know, why you're having that glass of wine in the evening. I mean, there's lots of things that, that the community can help to bring out for the woman as she's looking at her own situation. I think it's brilliant. I think it's also really important too that we commune in groups with women of different ages or not even chronological age, but just like archetypally, you know, the maiden, the mother and the crone, like we've gotten away from honoring those different phases of life as we've all been kind of taught like, Hey, you must be the maiden forever. Even after you have a child, right? Mm -hmm. You must look young and beautiful and (laughs) vivacious and to, you know, to be able to hear stories from other women who are, you know, entering that, that phase of, of being a crone and how much wisdom comes with that, right. Or the transition and, and understanding about yourself and the trust in your body that comes from 
motherhood, I think that that's really important when you're trying to conceive to have women of different ages and um, stages to kind of, I don't know, mirror to you what is possible. Yeah. Because I think I agree. I think there's this, again, because we're so segmentalized and isolated, there's this feeling that you have to sort of figure it out yourself. And if you, you know, don't have, you know, the perfect diet and the perfect this and that, you know, that you're doing something wrong. And I think by coming together with the different ages, with people with different life experience, different hormonal journeys, you know, we can all learn from that. And, and me, me, even as a physician, I, I said, when I was initially talking about the program that I, I'm doing this program as much for patients and other in women as I am for me. I mean, I, I crave that connection as well. I mean, I, it's, I don't, know everything. I'm still learning as well. And so how can we all learn from each other, you know, besides all the science and physiology stuff that I will certainly bring to the program, but there's so much other experience and knowledge and wisdom, like you said, that we can be learning from each other that I feel when you come together with another, with a collective of women is, is how you, how you kind of serve that up in this beautiful cake, you know, of, of experience and wisdom and, and health. That was probably not the best analogy, but we'll say, uh, <laughs> well, no, cause we all love cake, right? Will there be cake at your meeting? Are they in person? Cause I might fly to Colorado if there's cake. <laughs> love to be vegan. And- <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I, I agree with what you're saying though. Cause I, I know, yes, you learn them a big part of what you learn from your books and your mentors and the literature, but there's so much wisdom that's imparted onto you just by listening and being in that space with your patients. Like they teach me so much. Mm-hmm. And so to, to see that in a collective group, I think is just going to be awesome. So when does it start? It starts pretty soon, right? Yes. It starts May 28th. It starts tomorrow, actually. Um, and it starts it's, a tomorrow. Month, it's a monthly program um, over 10 months. So it's definitely a journey. But um, it's so rich and deep that, you know, you need that length of time. And I think that container to really give justice to all the topics we cover. You know, we come together virtually now, which, you know, the intention initially was going to be an in-person experience. But I think with the world we live in now more than ever, we need to be creative with how we're coming together to create community. Um, You know, one of my biggest concerns with the world we're living in is besides the acute issues related to the virus and, and avoiding that and recovering, et cetera. It's, it's all the other things that this could be doing to our stress hormone system and our health, right. By tearing down our immune response by, you know, lowering our feeling of connectedness and increasing social isolation. So I'm wanting to really create this safe container. And I think that we can still do it virtually so that we can support all those areas. So we don't have other health issues that come down the pike after we're, we're over this initial, initial craziness. It's like for your soul, it's for your immune system. It's for your hormones. I mean, it's just for, for good health. I think that we're feeding that with this experience. Okay. So if, if our listeners are tuning in on like a, like right away, so if you're an avid listener, you have an opportunity to join this program, which I think is awesome. Um, that's like a little reward in and of itself for you always listening right when there's a new 
uh, episode available. Where can they um, sign up if they're interested or find out more information? Yeah. So just go to my website, which is um, dr jenniferhorton.com dr jennifer j e n n i f e r h o r t o n.com no spaces no period um and i have a at the top bar there a rebel tribe uh link to to click on you can get the overview of the program also i have a youtube channel peace and calm health functional medicine where i have an overview video about the program as well but feel free to email me through my site and we can talk and I can answer questions. My intention is this is going to be something that I'm offering on a seasonal basis. So we will uh, most likely be doing it again in the fall, if now is not a good time. And even if you wanted to join, for, for example, um, in June, I think that would be fine. And we could get you caught up if if you really are feeling like this is calling to you and you want to be part of this inaugural class. Awesome. Thanks for offering that to yeah. them. Well, I have a couple more questions about the microbiome and fertility. If you've got a couple more minutes, I don't know if you're at a hard stop. Okay. So one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about is phytoestrogens, because a lot of times when I see potential gut issues interfering with hormones or someone that has like low estrogen, I'll introduce, you know, clean soy as a, you know, as a way to help with their estrogen. And the immediate answer is like, I'm so confused. I thought I was supposed to stay away from soy at all costs. Um, because that meant I was going to get cancer. Can you explain a little bit to our listeners about how phytoestrogens actually can help our gut biome health and how to do it safely? Right. So phytoestrogens basically are the parts in the, in the plant, in the natural occurring plant that have estrogen-like structures and they can help bind to different estrogen receptors so that we don't turn on the estrogen receptors that can go on and, uh, for example, proliferate into um, an estrogen-dominant breast cancer, for example. Like you said, you said, you know, clean soy. I think that's the key that when you're talking to patients about soy and where when we see in the literature the show how a diet high in soy lowers your risk of breast cancer in, in Japanese Asian women, you know, it's the type of soy they're eating. It's not processed you know, there's the whole GMO, non-GMO, I, you know, I think just staying away from the GMO is probably the most conservative thing to do. But you want, you know, just like we tell people to eat whole foods and a plant-based diet, you want them to be eating whole, clean, organic soy. So the, the tempeh, the edamame, the miso, uh, you know, incorporating that into your diet, um, you know, at least three to five servings over your week, for example. It's also important to the gut health because it's communicating, those phytoestrogens are communicating with that estrobilum, right? So you you want a, a good balance of bacteria in your gut that are getting rid of, you know, all of these things that we're exposed to, the pollution, the personal care products, the different toxins that can act like estrogen in our body. We need to be able to get those bad estrogens out and the phytoestrogens that we're getting through our diet, through good soy um, that's affecting our microbiome and the estrobilum can help with all of that. I, I love the strobilum. When I first learned about that, it blew my mind. I was like, wait a minute. I thought all ovary came from your reproductive or all estrogen came from your reproductive organs. I had no idea there was this like, I don't know, factory in my guts that was actually deciding, oh, you're bad estrogen. You need to go. And then recycling good estrogen and that that could actually 
continue through menopause and that you could hang on to some of the good estrogen you had in the estrobilome. I found that so fascinating. I was like, why did nobody tell me this? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. More about the, the microbiome every day, right? Right. And I mean, we're totally outnumbered by the cells in our microbiome to our the cells that make us what we think of as our, a human being, right? By Is it nine to one or something crazy like that? Yes. There's, yes. That's there's yeah, less, so, less of us and more of them for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. We are more virus, bacteria, and fungi than we are human being, which I find fascinating as we're like trying to wage war against this virus right now yeah. and everything antibacterial. And it's like, well, aren't you like killing off like a really good part of yourself too by mm-hmm. only using products like that? So yeah, I find myself in a little bit of a conundrum with that. Mm-hmm. So I know that you will test everybody and do a, a gut workup on all of your patients who come to see you. And so the care becomes very like um, what I call bio-individual. So what I do, you know, there isn't a one size fits all answer for people, but what are just some like top level things that you could suggest to our listeners to really help their microbiome besides eating non-GMO foods? Well, I'm always going to go back to the fundamentals uh, because I think there's always, no matter how clean the diet is and the exercise, there's always probably some tweak we need to look at. So we always need to go back to the foundation again, looking at sleep, you know, at least seven to eight hours of sleep per night. I mean, there's a amazing book out there called why we sleep where it's written by a PhD, where he just breaks down how we've just minimized sleep as a society, but even how Western physicians have minimized the importance of sleep and how that's restorative to our brains, to our nervous systems, to our immune systems, to our reproductive systems. So sleep, um, you know, certainly exercise and movement and often women, you know, sometimes can even be in a category that they're over-exercising or overworking out and that can increase their cortisol and then affect that hormone cascade we talked about. So that's important to look at, you know, a healthy balance of exercise. Um, Certainly the diet, you know, eating the rainbow and the fruits and vegetables and taking out inflammatory foods, the sugars, the refined grains, uh, often dairy and red meat uh, can be an issue for people in gluten. And then looking at just, you know, stress relationships, that's, you know, the community that uh, we've talked about, the meditation piece you know, and then weaving all of that together uh, as we break down what is actually going on with somebody's physiology that we might identify on the lab testing. So to me, when I'm working with a patient from a functional medicine perspective, I'm taking those foundational modified lifestyle issues along with that objective data that I get on laboratory, along with their history and their story, and just incorporating all of that as we, you know, personalize a plan for them. That's excellent. I mean, that's kind of what we preach here on the show, but I love that they are hearing it from the mouth of a a Western trained physician as well. I think that that's really important to empower women to ask questions and to, to know that it's just not some mumbo jumbo of how to take care of yourself, but it really is as upstream as it gets. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wants to work with you individually, maybe they're not down for the group program, but are you taking one-on-one virtual patients right now, or do they have to be in the state of Colorado? How does that work? Yes. So right now, yes, I've moved my entire practice to virtual. Um, I think in terms of 
the state of Colorado question, that's a moving target. And we will see as our world continues to change, I'm, I'm thinking that could shift depending on the state that the patient lives in is basically what dictates whether or not I could see somebody across state lines. Um, I, I have found out though, actually, that the state of Florida is probably one of the looser states when it comes to, I can see a patient without them having to see me face to face in the state of Colorado or live in Colorado first. And that's the only state that I know of, but again, it's, it's, it's an area that I am researching and keeping up with. So officially the patient needs to live in the state of Colorado for me to, to treat them. If you live in Florida, we can definitely look into that as well. And um, just keep, if you happen to live in other states, you know, reach out and as things shift in our world and hopefully it makes it easier for us to help people and some of the the strict laws and regulations that I think just impede care will be loosened. I mean, certainly we want to do it in a safe way and make sure the person's licensed and what have you, but um, functional medicine is just a perfect way, a perfect paradigm that I feel can be practiced via telehealth. And I really, you know, see myself being able to help more people that way. So you know, if you're interested in what I have to offer and my services, you know, check out my website, like I said, uh, drjenniferhorton.com. I also um, have a way that you can book discovery calls with me that we can just find out what your questions are and to find out if it would be a good fit and a good match. So that's something you can set up as well. Awesome. Yeah. Florida, Florida was pretty good, actually, as soon as COVID hit, they said, yeah, you know, you can cross state lines for now. And, and we're looking at changing that, which I thought was great because I do find that there are geographical differences in terms of how people are trained and mm-hmm. kind of the status quo. And some states are later to the ball, if you will, than others. So sometimes it's nice to be able to have somebody out of your geographical area have a, a, a different take for you and not have to spend thousands of dollars on travel to do that. So exactly. Just eliminate that barrier for sure. So if you had one piece of advice for our listeners that are out there struggling to conceive, what would it be? I would say you really want to break down your stress. And what I mean by that is there's emotional stress, there's dietary stress, and there's inflammatory stress. And inflammatory stress that I'm speaking to here is often what we're, again, that's your gut health, the cortisol, the liver detox. We're often measuring that on labs. So really digging into those three types of stress and where where in your puzzle those may be our weaker links and having that be you know your initial focus when you're working with an integrative practitioner and you might need to look at all three of those areas but you know until we get a handle on that big bubble of stress i think people are going to experience disease and infertility and, and have, you know, symptoms that are unpleasant. So, um, really dig down into that, that stress and and try to figure out what your stress red flags are through the diet, through emotional, through inflammatory and, and devise a plan of attack with your, your integrative provider to handle that. I think that's excellent advice. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day, especially when you're a day before launch of your new program and and helping to move our listeners towards wellness. I really appreciate you and and everything that you've studied and now how you're bringing it to the world. So thank you and huge thank you to our listeners. Your time is your most valuable asset. So as always, thank you for tuning in and 
seeking to better yourself by learning more. Thanks so much for having me, Hillary. I love what you absolutely love to combine forces. Yes. Yeah. I, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second, cook up something good. And we'll definitely have you back on the show. Cause like I said, I could talk to you for days about women's health. So yeah. Thank you. All right. Bye for now listeners. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this podcast, I would love it if you would leave a short review wherever you listen. Your stars and kind words help other women find this podcast when it's their turn to conceive. I would consider it the ultimate thank you. And you might even be chosen to hear your review read on one of our podcasts. Bye for now.